We live in a world of violence, war, magic, and the supernatural. I'm here to bring you a glimmer of hope for tomorrow. This is the Voice of Hope podcast, and you can call me Beacon, your auditory guide to the safety of Castle Refuge. To all Tomorrow Legion teams in the field, this is an information broadcast only. Your next mission profile will be on the following broadcast. Rest well, comrades. You are all familiar with the events we have been presenting to you over the last few broadcasts. Recently, the Council of Hope has been presented with a number of challenges and opportunities to explore what could define Castle Refuge for the foreseeable future. The mission to rescue Gail Betzler and the remains of the Ironheart Avengers is an extremely risky gambit, which could pay off well for the Legion. Success means rescuing more than 150 refugees from some of the most dangerous territory in North America. The satisfaction of accomplishing that which many say is impossible, as well as the ability for Castle Refuge to sustain its own weapons and accurement production. This originally is what led the Council of Hope to identifying this as a Priority 1 mission. However, circumstances have shown that the risk to the mission's success is extreme and could lead to such a significant loss of Legionnaire lives and allied equipment that General Magruder needs a council vote to accept the risk of the mission. This emergency meeting is looking at more than just this operation, and the council has to assess this mission against the Legion's existing lines of effort as well as the new operations that are being planned. As General Magruder summarized in his briefing, the existing lines of effort to provide refugee security, build alliances, and contain the Coalition and Federation of Magic take up the majority of the available Tomorrow Legion personnel. And those roles need to be expanded to combat the growing retribution movement and to extend diplomatic efforts to the Shamarian nation. In addition, the operations in the Great Plains against the Cannibal Alliance and the anti-cult operations against the growing Harvester cult in the Magic Zone require a significant increase in Tomorrow Legion assets. Earlier today, after reviewing General Magruder's mission plan, the Council voted, amid much debate, which led to a rare split vote. I have been requested to broadcast from the Council Chamber, Lord Coke, leader of the Cyber Knights, sitting in for the High Defender's stead while she's away on a diplomatic mission, has asked me to record his discussions. He has called Councillor Comstock, the leader of the contingent voting for the mission, and Mayor Henderson, the leader of the contingent voting against the mission, to speak with him concerning the vote so he can render his judgment. Thank you very much, Deacon. Um, so to begin, Mayor Henson, can you please summarize the Ironheart Avengers situation and the specifics of the mission in question for me? Absolutely. Well, we got the Ironheart Avengers that were uh, based out of Veracruz, and they did a secret sabotage mission at Fort Pinnacle to uh, destroy a con being constructed aircraft character carrier. And this, the Blue Water Fleet went to Veracruz and just, frankly, wh whooped their ass. So they are now in Mexico as refugees and have contacted the, uh, the Tomorrow Legion and are asking for assistance and rescue. And to sweeten the deal, they have offered Ironheart armaments, plans, and uh, schematics of, of their warships. And they have mentioned that there is a stone pyramid on the beach that is there as a available shifting route to get there. And they have nautical commandos from the coalition hunting them. They're about a few miles away from a capital of a vampire kingdom. And they're taking, they've been rescued by these snake aliens. I forget their name. 
and their dimensional people are hunting them as well. So quite frankly, they're in a three-way pickle and they need our assistance. And you want us to jeopardize the army to rescue them? Well, I, if you want my opinion, that's a, that's a completely separate thing. But I'm just giving you the as assessment of what's going on. Well, General McGruder has briefed us on the plan for the rescue operation, as well as other efforts and operations that the Tomorrow Legion is invested in. And this seems quite uh, quite a risky prospect. Um, why why do you feel this is a necessary campaign? Well, he's found that that stone pyramid actually isn't a magical stone pyramid, and the two places that they would like to make a shift shifted ley line ex, um, deployment is either at the capital. Of the Vampire Kingdom, or actually in Veracruz, where that entire contingent of coalition troops and armored division is. It's actually, if I may be so bold as to interrupt, uh, uh, my my good friend and colleague, Mayor Henson, is actually quite against this operation, though he's been very kind to give an accurate description of the situation. But uh, I disagree with him on the matter of whether we should or should not do so. He feels it would be foolish. I, on the other hand, think it is absolutely vital that we proceed, proceed forward. forward. Yes. yes. Well, absolutely. My opinion is that we send, send our boys down there to those two hot spots. They're going to be busier than a one-legged man in a butt-kicking contest just trying to survive. Consular? The fact of the matter is, if, well, actually, to be fair, allow me to outline for the sake of the conversation that I am fully aware that we have other competing interests going on out in the world. We are dealing with, of course, the Cannibal Alliance sweeping down from Calgary. The ongoing conflicts we have with the various coalition forces, both North and South, and quite frankly, Western, are regularly scheduled conflicts with the bandits uh, and the ever-growing threat of the forces against us in the, Feder the Magical Federation, the Federation of Magic. Nonetheless, though we are facing all of those challenges, if we do not stand for hope, begin this being the very nature of your caste and the name you chose for it. If we do not stand for hope, then what do we stand for? If we do not represent a chance for a better tomorrow for everyone, then what do we represent? What the hell am I teaching the people within my classes if we're not going to put our money and our armaments and our courage where our mouths are? Consular, your passion is commendable. Before I make my observations, Mr. Mayor, do you have anything further to add? Well, absolutely. Because, quite honestly, it, it's really hard to listen to Mr. Comstock here without feeling like he's pissing on my boot and telling me it's raining. You know, I have to acknowledge that there's importance to the t that for the Tomorrow Legion and, and then their mandate, but we need to help build up the 
future confederation and then make sure that, the, and it's my priority and responsibility to make sure the environment around Castle Refuge is safe and secure as possible. And keeping the peace around Castle Refuge is my number one priority with, and safely escorting refugees from Tolkien is, is a close, close second. So if, I, so if I was to choose, I would choose the mission against the Cannibal Alliance as a higher priority followed by the increasing resources for refuge security as a priority. That's, that's my vote. And that would leave these heroes high and dry. Oh, I, I'm not without understanding and compassion for these folks, but at, at what cost? Indeed, what cost? That is I the believe, question. So if this mission goes all side goggly, then we're, we're going to be at a loss. And, and and quite honestly, I don't want to play that kind of game of dominoes, if you ask me. You know what I mean? Mr. Comstock, your response to that? You ask what cost, Lord Coke? I tell you truly, the cost is to our very soul. It is the cost of our reputation in the world if we're to stand as a beacon of light and hope in the world, as we chose to do when you first brought us that initial batch of refugees and we all decided that this was the stand we would uh, take here in this castle, then when we cast away a request for, for aid from those who not only deserve our assistance, but offer us the very security that the good Lord Mayor asks for, they offer us technology and knowledge that we could use to enhance our abilities here and elsewhere in our great our grand mission if we turn that away we turn away the very foundation of who we are i cannot sit idly by why those who are worthy are left to die at the hands of great horrors or great evil i tell you this true lord coke whatever it is you decide I personally will not leave them alone. I will resign my position from the council. I will take up arms and I will solely and individually into the vampire kingdoms myself if I must. For those who call for aid from us must know someone will answer. Councilor Comstock, you have shown great passion for this rescue mission. And yet you ask us to jeopardize the very security you speak of if that army is wiped out. I recognize your concerns. I do not believe we are giving the forces that we would send enough credit. They've shown time and time again at odds 10 to 1, 25 to 1 even, that they can stand and they can deliver. I would not recommend that we completely deplete ourselves of our capabilities. And certainly we still have to keep an eye on the advancing horde. We must continue to protect those coming out of the Tolkien region. We must continue all of our other missions. But I know for a fact there are plenty who would take up arms and be ready to go. And we could even call upon our allies elsewhere to provide additional forces. There's a way to skin this cat. So you say, gentlemen, as I understand the Council of Hope's charter, the High Defender, or I, in her set, stead, serving as her proxy, first acts as an advisor to the Consul, and secondly, I cast a dividing vote on such matters when there is a split among the decision makers. That is my responsibility right now, and I think I am about 
ready to give you my response. Do you have anything else to add? I defer to the mayor for first response. Well, have you actually talked to any of the troops in the Tomorrow Legion and what, what they think and what they might comment on? Because I have. And as the boys would say, sometimes the juice is not worth the squeezing. Hmm. We talk to different people then because I've talked to many who take up arms in defense and they are ready to go. And even if it is one drop that would prevent one person from dying of thirst, they would squeeze that fruit you so, so colloquially speak of. Nonetheless, I trust Lord Coke to make the right decision. I do not envy him the conflict. I do not envy him the dilemma. And I will abide with respect to the decision. But I have made myself clear, if we do not go as planned, someone, even if it's me alone, will go. Gentlemen, this matter has weighed heavy on my shoulders. And I have given it very much thought long before this final determination. I had hoped the decision would not fall on my shoulders, but it has. So I have listened and weighed the points of both sides in this debate and measured it against my own combat experience. The warrior in me, like you, Consular, would like to approve the rescue mission you have proposed. And if I could do so, I would lead it myself. However, mm. there is much more at stake than the lives or technology that the Ironheart Avengers offer us. Though you may not see it, the military operation you and your supporters have proposed has a very low chance of success. And losing such a fighting force could be a tragedy on many levels, not the least of which would be leaving Castle Refuge and all they protect weak and vulnerable. With everything else going on around us, my vote is no. Absolutely not. Hot damn! <sighs> and so dies a brave few. Gentlemen, while I applaud your courage, battlefields across the megaverse are strewn with the corpses of brave men and women. The future of Castle Refuge and all it represents is too important to jeopardize on this. I hope you see that, Consular. No military force outside the coalition army is ready for a long-range mission like this one. And to cross one hostile territory after another. Bad enough, the troops would have to contend with repeated assaults by the coalition army and the bandits of the Pecos Empire. But a forced march by any army of size into the vampire kingdoms will not, gentlemen, go unnoticed and can only result in a series of pitched battles until no one is left. And for those who may survive, the horror of having to battle your beloved brothers in arms when they rise from the dead to face you as, a to face you as an inhuman enemy is an agony no one ever truly recovers from. I know, I've experienced it, and I will not send an army to such an ignoble fate. Even if the mission to bring the refugees out of the vampire lands is a tremendous success, the journey home is no less filled with peril. Blackguards and coalition forces will weigh in late at every ambush point to crush already embattered and weakened 
forces. Consular, your forces will be lucky to see as many as half your troops and a quarter of the very people you hope to rescue return home. Civilians, sir, never farewell on the battlefield. And those precious secrets that you want so badly are likely to perish with them. It is not that I don't have faith in the soldiers of Castle Refuge. I speak from personal experience in more military campaigns than I care to count. Castle Refuge, I am sorry to say, can ill afford to lose its army, no matter how noble the cause. The people they protect, protect and defend here every day need them right here where they are most important to safeguard the citizens from whatever evil may come their way. And as we know, there is no end to the evil that would like to see Castle Refuge and its bold ideals to fail, to ensure our glorious destiny here in this wonderful place, not just for you, but for your children and for their children and perhaps the future of humanity. I must stand by my, no my vote of no. You are building something here that is simply too precious and rare to jeopardize. I understand the emotions that must be. I understand, Consul, because I feel them too. This is one of the unspoken horrors of war. They ask soldiers, men and women of conviction and action, to stand down and stay the course, knowing full well that by doing so, innocent people shall die. Die for a greater good that is not yet written and remains uncertain. It's a difficult choice, and I do not make it easily. I could argue and defend my position for another three hours, but both views have been argued enough. But there is more than one way to skin a cat, my friends. Instead, I propose, propose this, that we send a smaller force, a much smaller force, to take this mission. A small elite force, force of mages and soldiers and psychics to go into the vampire-held lands to fully reconnoiter and assess the situation in real time. If these experienced men and women in the field decide extraction, rescue, is a viable option, they go in and get these Iron Heart Avengers and get out fast, quiet. This hand-picked force then leads them to the secrets, uh, leads them Excuse me, gentlemen, this is a rather emotional thing for me, but I think this plan will work quite well. They will lead the refugees to a safe location outside the vampire lands, a, plan, a place like the Arsenal stronghold. There, they rest, resupply, and embark on the long journey home to Castle Refuge. I know to some people who will hear this later will think this is sheer madness. And we must work out all the details before we go public with this. But it is the only way this rescue has any real chance of success. We disguise the refugees in plain sight as a traveling show or a merchant ca caravan, or perhaps even as a band of pioneers that has accidentally traveled too far into the vampire lands and now only wish to return to the relative safety of the new West at key junctions of this journey, gentlemen, in and out of the vampire lands. I will personally arrange for allies like the Arsenal mercenaries, Justice Rangers, the Lin Sorrell Sky Knights, 
and my own cyber knights to meet and escort the elite force and their human cargo through portions of these hostile territories. In fact, in Mexico, I should be able to arrange support of, from none other than members of Reed's Rangers, the famed vampire hunters, and later a band of Shumerian warriors who have no love for vampires and bandits. There's also a certain dragon who happens to owe me a favor. This, my friends, is the best alternative. You have my word of honor and my help. Hallelujah! I am most gratified, Lord Coke, to hear you say this. I will not lie. Uh, I did think that it was likely this decision would come to the direction that you had taken. I have already taken the liberty of alerting some of the friends I have, such as the Odd Squad and a few other smaller groups and, and uh, mission teams, who would be more than happy to volunteer for such an operation. They are prepared to use their magics, their psionics, their special capabilities to operate as a small unit in exactly this kind of mission. It is not what I hoped for. I'd had, I admit I had hoped for a grander and greater symbol of our activity and our ability, but the most important thing is the greater good, and I accede to your wisdom. Thank you, Consular. I think you will not regret that decision. This is a good day for everyone. It's never, never, there's never any advantage of wasting lives on a fool's errand. And I'm afraid a full out armed force heading into the vampire lands is exactly that. But this elite force that between all of us, that we should be able to put together that that has real potential for success. Agreed. I agree as well. You're definitely a man of common sense and practicalness, Sir Coke. Thank you. It is my honor. It has been difficult, Maya, but I hope our friendship remains intact. Do you, do you boys mind if I buy, you buy us all a drink? I assume, Mr. Comstock, you like a glass of wine? Actually, a bit of bourbon at this point seems more in, in keeping. Bourbon for me as well. Man after... Okay. Hey, attache boy, come over here. Yeah, yeah, come with three bourbons. Yeah, here's a little extra something for you. No, make it quick. Go. My fellow sentients, today you received an enlightening look into how the Council of Hope operates. I must admit that I was shocked by the outcome and yet pleased by Lord Coke's insights. Thank you for listening. Stay safe, move surely, and look out for your fellow refugees. I, Beacon, will guide you to your new tomorrow. Speak to you again soon. Production note, in the time between recording the Beacon segments of this podcast and the interview, I was able to figure out the issues with my recording software, so there'll be a kind of a stark contrast between how I sound as Beacon and how I sound during the interview, so I apologize for uh, that if it turns anybody off. Well, hopefully you'll enjoy the rest of the show. I would like to thank and welcome Cameron Cleveland and Sean Patrick Fannin for joining me as counselors on our show today. And I'd like to thank and welcome Kevin Sambita, the head of Palladium Books and the author of Riffs, for joining us today. Sorry, Kevin, I think I just mispronounced your name wrong. I, no, can... that was actually, uh, that was perfect. Kevin Sambita. 
Awesome. Well, and the, you all have graciously uh, accepted uh, to stick around and chat with us about riffs. So, Kevin, SPF, Cameron, hey, welcome to the Voice of Hope. Uh, of course, Sean, you've been on here before. But uh, starting with Kevin, uh, could you tell the listeners a little about yourselves? Um, that's uh, that's a difficult question. <laughs> a long time ago, and it and goes far, far away. <laughs> uh, I guess the short answer is, uh, you know, I, I discovered uh, role playing back in 1978, and fell in love with it. And uh, in 1981, started my own game company, Palladium Books. Uh, we've produced a number of. Uh, Games that, that listeners may have heard of, the teenage <laughs> Robotech, Rifts, Beyond the Supernatural, Heroes Unlimited, Palladium Fantasy game. Um, what can I say? I love role playing. Been doing this for 38 years now, and uh, still not tired of it. So, how so, much do you actually get to play, Kevin? Uh, I, I I used to play. Quite a bit. I, I ran a uh, Saturday campaign for probably twenty years. Um, not, not the same campaign, but but one campaign after another. And then uh, in the last fifteen years or so, I mostly get to play uh, at conventions and play tests, and uh, you know at the Palladium Open House that we hold every three four years. Um, but yeah, I don't get to play as much as I as I would like to. Uh, I'm I'm writing all the time. Yeah, you've got a pretty busy schedule, and I definitely appreciate you taking your time out to join us. Uh, SPF. Oh, oh, sorry, Kevin. Go ahead. No, that's okay. No, no, I just I'm happy to happy to be here, man. Well, I am particularly thrilled to be on here with Kevin. He and I go a good ways back. I I am kind of thrilled you asked that question about not getting to play. And, and uh, not too long ago, as, uh, as I understand it, I got to run the first Rifts game Kevin ever got to play as a player in uh, at uh, Grand Con in Michigan. And that was a hell of a thing. Of course, I didn't know at the time when I asked him it was going to be his first time playing. So, no, there was no pressure there at all. But... Uh, <laughs> I think everybody involved had a good time with that. I actually have a year head start on him in terms of my history. I actually started in 77. Um, I was the first known dungeon master in Cobb County, Georgia. And that that uh, that came with its own set of, shall we say, complications <laughs> back in the early days of the 700 Club and demonic D&D books and all that good happiness. Uh, started working professionally. I, I started later in terms of professional work by, by a good bit. I didn't start until 88 as a professional creator uh, doing magazine articles and, and reviews and stuff like that. Did a lot of work for Champions 4th Edition right about that time is when I first met Kevin at the conventions and we struck up a friendship that's been wonderful ever since. Uh, did a little work with the Star Wars role-playing game the West End version. Later on did the, a lot of work for the Fantasy Flight version. Um, did some White Wolf stuff here and there. Uh, kind of dipped my toe in a lot of different uh, companies' work over the years. Uh, got turned on to Savage Worlds uh, thanks to my good friend Shane Hensley and first published the Shintar setting, uh, epic high fantasy setting for Savage Worlds. Um, then uh, a little bit later, uh, after quite a bit of back and forth and, and planning and plotting, uh, we got the Savage Risk Project uh, going, and that was a, a huge success for everybody involved. Uh, just recently released Freedom Squadron in the Savage Worlds uh, rules, uh, which is basically a love letter to G.I. Joe. 
Uh, I've got my own company, Eva Beagle Games. We do uh, quite a bit of Savage World stuff, but we also uh, have a lot of products out for 5th edition, Pathfinder, uh, Champions, a uh, little bit of stuff here and there. we got a huge uh, Kickstarter coming in March uh, for Prowlers and Paragons, Ultimate Edition, which is our big superhero game. The, this is one that I'm really proud of because the Hero Games guys themselves uh, are huge fans of it and have said a lot of really wonderful things about it. So, yeah, like Kevin, I never, I never let go of it. Uh, not only do I continue to, uh, to, to write and design, but uh, I'm still actively running and playing games because I love this stuff. Yeah, uh, actually, I really enjoyed. Uh, I got to go play in uh, Prowlers and Paragons with SPF down at MarsCon just a few weeks ago, and uh, definitely some hilarity and awesome fun for the system. So I definitely recommend people look at that one. Thank you. Uh, so Cameron, first before uh, before you jump in here, man, I need to thank you because the reason Kevin is on the show right now is because of your efforts when you went up to the Palladium Open House. In fact, uh, I told Kevin when I was speaking with him uh, probably a few months before you left, you're like, so I'm meeting with Kevin. What would you ask him? I'm like, uh, will he be on my show? And lo and behold, <laughs> here he is. Well done, sir. <laughs> so Cameron, please introduce yourself, man. Hi, my name is Cameron Cleveland. I've been a long-term gamer since the 80s, and uh, over the last 20 to 30 years, I've played everything but country music. I got my start with Dungeons and Dragons. Later, Palladium Rifts came out. I, in my our group, was very heavily involved with that. Uh, Shadowrun was another g- game that we ran into, and when our GM left, I was the only person that knew the rules very well because. My start was as a rules lawyer, so I was the only person that actually run the game mechanically. And uh, since then, I've uh, inv- heavily involved in the 90s in, in World of Darkness games, and I've, uh, for about 17 years, I've run at um, Southern California Strategic Con conventions, and that's where it brought me back to Rifts and, and uh, Savage Rifts. And, and now I run the Rifts... Uh, Living Campaign Club. Way to go. Cool. And we'll probably talk a little bit more about that as we go on. Um, but, uh, hey, I mean, I got three people. I, heck, I got the creator of Riffs on here Some and uh, some people that are really steeped in it. So, hey, let's talk about Riffs. I mean, you know, so... <laughs> It's actually one of the longest running and most expansive game, like worlds and RPGs, anything short of D&D. I mean, uh, what is it that, you know... Uh, what is it about that world that that really calls to people? I mean, I'll actually I'll save Kevin for last on this one and start with Cameron. I mean, what is it about Rifts that's made you such a longtime fan of it? Um, everything, including the Kevin's the kitchen sink. Oh, you stole my answer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it 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 is all encompassing. There's fantasy. There's sci-fi. There's post-apocalypse. There's psionic. Cola. I mean, you name it; it has it there. I mean, if you wanted to, if you wanted to play a, a cyborg, My Little Pony, you could do it. People look at you funny, but hey, you know what? There's something for everyone in it. It is the widest cast RPG net I have ever seen. Nice. Well, SPF, he stole your answer, so you need a new one. <laughs> well, I mean, we even said during the run-up to and the promotion of Savage Rifts that this, you know, the Rifts is the world that gives you anything and everything, including a weaponized kitchen sink. And somebody actually statted up a weaponized kitchen sink during the Kickstarter. So that was fun. Um, but for me, 
Uh, I won't lie, Cyber Knights. When I first saw the concept of the Cyber Knight in that world, that said something else to me. Yes, the 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 vast uh, capable, you know, anything and everything. But you know, it's real easy to do a well play anything and play everything game, and it actually be a kind of a disaster. I've seen D and D games just go absolutely through the toilet because there was no there was no concentrating effort to try to create some you know kind of semblance of you know structuring the heroic experience within this world. Rifts does not leave you hanging in that. It provides you, uh, whether you go that from the, the original Palladium system or through the Savage Rifts uh, uh, portal, you have these defined characters, these defined factions, these defined elements within this chaotic anything-goes world to give you a bit of focus, to give you somebody cool and interesting and, and you know effective and competent and powerful or, or really knowledgeable and, and they have a reason to be who they are. There's an internal consistency to it that you would normally consider to be fairly impossible with such within such an open-ended uh, presentation. But when you provide uh, a, you know, a standing organization like the Coalition, which is, you know, everybody loves punching Nazis, and you have lots of Nazi punching with the Coalition, and yet, you know, Kevin went far enough into that to say, but within the Coalition, you can still see the people, you can still see... The, the glimmer of humanity within them. They're just people who are afraid of what their world turned into. So there's that, that level of understanding of the people who live there that creates a depth of, of, of experience. Then you have all of these other factions and all of this political complexity that's going on. You know, the reason for conflicts, the reason to team up together, all that internal consistency mixed with all the variability of experience that exists that's actually what makes Rifts stand out as far as the anything-goes types of games that have come since. Nice. So, Kevin, of course, following those those two, I mean, of course, you you built all of this, but what was it, I mean, like, what is it that compelled you to make this world, and what, you know, what makes it exciting for you still today? Well, well first of all, I want to thank Carmen and Sean for their kind words and high praise. Um... You know, Rifts for me was was really something special, even while I, I was conceiving of it. Um, what, what really motivated me is, you know, I started gaming in the early days of, of the industry, and there was this big battle, big argument about whether you combine um, magic and technology and make it plausible and one of the things that, that bugged me about a lot of the earlier games is they were they were very contrived setups I mean, I mean a great example this is not to slam D&D because D&D is what got us all started and it's a great flipping game but in early D&D with a dungeon crawl I mean you kick open a door you kill whatever's in there you loot the place you step out and you walk over to the next door after making all this noise, this huge commotion, and it's like it didn't happen. They they, they don't hear it. There's no one going, "Hey, what?" And, and that bugged the living crap out of me. And so I started running games and creating games where there were consequences, where the setting made sense, even if it was, you know, outlandish and spectacular, like like riffs. I, if you give people that feel of plausibility. Um, combined with a sense of humanity and and it, it just taps into all the, the what we're all built out of. I mean, ultimately it's heroic adventure with um, you know, our characters, you know, your, your heroes 
you know, making choices every every campaign of what's right and wrong, you know, fighting evil. Um, and I think those are just constants that, that people love. And, and when I decided to tackle Rift specifically, I, I have to say, my, my, my thought was, I want to make this my Star Wars, uh, in the sense of I wanted a very unique and dynamic world that was endlessly expansive and that you could unleash your imagination. I, I, I'm really big on imagination and, and open ends in, in my games and where anything, I mean, if you present something to me as a game master um, that, that makes sense, that's plausible, um, that's clever, that's downright brilliant, I want to include it. And, and, and so Rifts is sort of that environment where whatever type of game you want, you want to play a know what you know some kind of noir uh, you know cyberpunk whatever you can you want to play a whacked out magic dinosaurs and cowboys game you can and the cool thing is you can travel to all these different places and experience all these different things and you can linger in the places you really love you know you, you don't hang around so long in the places you don't and there's this overall theme of humanity and the struggle for survival that I think everyone just recognizes and, and has fun with. And uh, I think that's that that's part of what Rifts is and why it's lasted so long. Nice. I mean, yeah, it's one of the things for me, uh, kind of like SPF had said, was just the how the world felt kind of very real you know because i played Shadowrun, i played all those things and riffs kind of of all of them it kind of had the well if magic really popped up and all this stuff this is kind of probably what the world would end up like um but going on with that and actually i'll just kind of jump up um you know so when riffs came out and it was one of the things you, you kind of hinted at but it basically was the first game that kind of have a warning label actually written into it, warning about violence and the occult and drugs and and inside of Rifts, you actually bring up a lot of really hard real world issues like racial hatred and slavery, and so it was just one of those like how important are those themes inside the game itself uh, to get the feeling of the world down, and then how do you actually bring that to the gaming table in a in a solid way that people still have fun with but maybe doesn't gloss over some of the the nastiness of or some of the grittiness of this world well i think first and foremost i mean so, sort of my mantra is have fun i mean there 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 are no preconceived anything w with this game you know i've had people say oh these guys play they're just power gamers and they're just playing glitter boys that go and blow stuff up and these guys are playing this really elaborate game of whatever and it's like role playing is so personal i want people to be especially with riffs to be able to play whatever style whatever genre they want so first and foremost if you're having fun and you never thought about you know issues of slavery or racial hatred or anything else that's just fine. But um, because I wanted to create a, a gritty, realistic world, um, let's face it, the human animal <laughs> is capable of amazing goodness and, and beauty and outlandishly horrific acts of evil. And that's just human nature. And, and for me, because role-playing is all about character and story, 
it's about the humanity uh, of the characters as well as the players. Um, and so I think those issues need to be in there. They're, they're, they're powerful. They've been part of human history since day one. Um, it's what conflict and drama and pathos is, is all about. And, uh, you know, to me, in a lot of ways, and we can get into this uh, in, in a more deeper way, um, but, but, you know, I, I don't think issues of, like, racial hatred and um, slavery and stuff are, are too difficult to handle in a role-playing game. Um, because they're generally presented as bad things and your characters, your heroes are probably, you know, fighting against those kind of things or find themselves confronted with issues that make them think and make them better heroes later. Um, so, uh, I, I don't really see them as, as, you know, any kind of problem to, to deal with. Awesome. And as for the warning label, the warning label grew out of the, just the fact that uh, you know, the whole D&D, there's a lot of crazy stuff that people may not remember or, or never even lived through. Um, during the 80s, 70s, 80s, and, and even early 90s, there was like just this crazy campaign against role-playing games where people were claiming D&D was, was evil and, and encouraged uh, spellcasting and the occult and... Um, uh, Satanism, Satan worship. Uh, you know, I had people tell me with a total straight face and absolute sincerity that they don't play D&D because, well, you know, it's real magic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm like, uh, no, I don't know anything of that sort. But, you know, we sat down and realized that this was going on. And, you know, this was also before the time of the Internet. So we had dozens and dozens of calls every week from people asking if our magic was real. Um, nice. And, and, you know, am I going to go to hell if I if I play your game? And, you know, is it going to corrupt me? Can my ch child tell the difference between fantasy and reality? Because the media was running with, wow, you know, kids, even teenagers, cannot tell the difference between Dungeons and Dragons or whatever role-playing game and reality. They lose track of reality. And then things that happen in a game make them so distraught that they hurt themselves or hurt others, commit suicide. Um, you know, one of my favorite media, media events uh, in the 1980s was Entertainment Tonight, which is pretty much a movie entertainment show had a two-part expose by Geraldo Rivera called Games That Kill. And among the pile of books of Games That Kill, because uh, of course D&D was the main focus, was Palladium Fantasy, Heroes Unlimited, Robotech, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and other strangeness. Um, I don't think any of those games have killed anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but Michael, yeah. Michael, Michael Stackpole did a rather uh, famous, uh, and he repeated this numerous times, but he did a famous breakdown of, uh, or takedown of this crap by establishing that there was not one single proven uh, criminally or judicially instance of, of significant harm or death being caused by tabletop role-playing games. Nice. No, that's absolutely true. And, and yeah, Mike Stackpole was... Uh, a, a real leader in defending role-playing games and calling out these folks. 
uh, for the alarmist that that they really were. Um, the so satanic that, that's panic. Oh yeah, satanic panic. You got it. Um, and uh, you know, dungeons wasn't it with that movie Dungeon and Maze, uh, Mazes or something that came mazes out. Mazes and monsters. <laughs> mazes and monsters. That was it. Yep. Yep. It was, it was crazy, and it was real. I mean, I, I actually had, you know, at, at a couple of conventions, people, you know, usually a grandparent, bring their teenage or preteen back to my booth and say, I'm, you sold them this, this book, and I need to return it because it's satanic. And, or they had concerns about it. We would stand there and talk, and sometimes I'd win them over, and sometimes I wouldn't, uh, and they would get their refund. But uh, you know, it was a very real thing. Um, so uh, and that's why we started doing it. And actually, well, you may may have noticed it, the the warning in uh, riffs. Um, we started putting those warnings in our books. I want to say 1988, um, and it was really effective because people would read them, and uh, and it made sense to me because the, you know a lot of these were just concerned parents who didn't really know what was going on and role-playing was the hot new fad at the time and they didn't know what their kid was reading so by putting that warning in there it let them know that hey you know maybe there's some inappropriate content in this book and you'll want to look it over before you let your kid buy it um and, and it gave them an idea of what was in there and it you know very flatly clearly stated this is a fictional make-believe. None of this stuff is real. We don't encourage the occult. We don't encourage use of drugs and violence. You know, and uh, I think it really helped. It really helped during a time where people were uncertain and scared of role-playing games, of all things. Cool. SPF, so uh, I'll, I'll kick over to you for how to in- include some of this stuff at the table in a good way. Well, you you know my nature. Um, I'm very much the guy who, who, you know, both hues very much to, you should be playing heroes. Play the game as you want. I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum, yum. And I'm going to, you know, tell you that as long as everyone at the table is comfortable with what you guys are doing, there's no wrong, bad fun. But again, as long as everyone's comfortable. I'm a big fan of Session Zero, which is where everybody gets together before a campaign starts and works out you know, what everybody's expectations are, and more importantly, establishes premises of safety and comfort. So it should be, that's a great time for someone to say, hey, these topics are going to be very uncomfortable for me, even if you can find a a realistic or or gentle way to bring them in, I'm still not going to be comfortable talking about that. You know, somebody who's been the victim of abuse is probably not going to want to deal with certain certain abuse-oriented topics in the gameplay. I'm, a, I'm currently running a campaign where one of my players was mauled by an animal. Um, she was specifically mauled by a, a fairly large dog. Uh, you know, she's pretty awesome. She actually has three dogs of her own because she chose to you know, kind of spit in the face of that and say I'm not going to blame all dogs. But scenes that depict animals you know, being you know, aggressive and attacking a person is something that would still cause her emotional distress and she made sure I knew that when we all got together and so I avoid doing that in the game specifically to make sure that I don't bring something uncomfortable for her so that's a really good tactic for a GM to be you know able to make sure their individual players 
have a certain sense of safety and comfort where that's concerned. If you bring a new player to the table, you go ahead and have that mini session zero with them and say, hey, you just want to make sure there's no topics that uh, are, are going to be uncomfortable for you. So that's that's one thing I'm a big fan of, and I certainly say that's how the individual table should, should work. Um, I do believe that this is not a something you can have a blanket answer to. There are some things like slavery that serve really, really well as a, a moral dilemma kind of thing for heroes to face in a story. You know, it's a, it's a classic heroic trope of the, the individual heroes brought into a culture where slavery is considered legal and acceptable, but it's not legal and acceptable to them, and they have to face what they're going to do with that situation. So, you know, I'm, you know that's one you know, topic. Uh, sexual abuse, I think that's pretty much best left off the table Amen. regardless. Yes. Um, I, I just, I don't think there's ever a time when that's going to be appropriate. Uh, I, I just, that's that's a thing that you just don't need to drag in. You can maybe, under the right circumstances, infer that they're doing lots of evil things, all the evil things you might imagine, and then leave it at that kind of situation. Um, that's 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 where I would go with there. Like I said, so it's case by case. Racism, racism is a real concept. It is a real thing that that we should confront, that we should examine. I'm not going to run a table where I, I want one person to be playing a racist character that the other players have to deal with because I just don't feel like that's going to be comfortable or fun. I can see how another table of players might decide that's okay. And as long as they've all worked it out ahead of time and talk about it uh, out of character uh, to keep everybody feeling okay with it, then that's on them. But you're not going to find that at my table. So that's kind of where I am with those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah. I, I generally agree with, with what Sean said. Um, it, you know, and you can, you can get away with certain things because this is a game of imagination. So you can infer things that are happening and people kind of fill in the blanks uh, without going into gory detail. Um, and yeah, you, I think something that, that some game masters miss, especially beginner game masters, is you really kind of need to listen to your players and take cues from what they say and do and how they handle things. And uh, like Sean's session zero, I, I never had a session zero, but I would, at the end of my games, I would often have like a recap and go through it and kind of point out certain things and why this happened and why in the game context X, Y, or Z was, was going on and how people made a good decision or a bad decision or, you know, that kind of thing to help reinforce the positive and make sure that they everyone was walking away with you know the same perception. Um, and if I was wrong, I would listen to what they're saying and go, okay, I need to not go down this 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 road. Cool. The, yeah, the social contract at the table is definitely something, especially when you're dealing with potential topics like that. That's critical. Um, Cameron, so of course you run a lot at conventions and stuff like that. Do you ever? Is this ever come up? Is this ever an issue uh, at the tables there at the conventions you run at? Well, I run riffs, and a lot of the content, as per the book warnings, do come up, and I give. Um, 
get kind of a, my own session zero where okay there's something that's going to be happening it's a public execution i'm not going to go into details is anyone comfortable or uncomfortable um would you like to step out of the room while i do that quick session intro and i've had people go yes thank you for letting me know i will be stepping out of the room and other people were like no no it's fine i, I can take it and and I, i've gone through things like that so just to kind of piggyback on what these fine gentlemen have said yes i i've experienced those things and done what they have done cool have, have in it like if you run into any issues like when you're actually playing like coalition npcs and all that kind of stuff where you are kind of doing the you know the imperial stormtrooper kind of the coalition you know being blunt being potentially negative to to a whatever character db is in the in the crew have you ever run into any issues playing that out Yes, uh, we. I had some Samus do a traffic stop of some player characters, and one of the player characters was an artificial intelligence android, and he did not have his proper registration papers, so the Coalition Samus wanted to impound him like a vehicle. <laughs> so, his, so, so the issue of is he a sentient being or is he a, is is he an item came up. And that was a huge in-character argument with the with the coalition Samus people that want to impound the player character. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yep. Cool. Um, well, so another just kind of open, and and we'll we'll go back to front. So I'll start with Cameron again. So like you know, Rifts products. I mean, heck, you know, kind of like a lot of people pointed out, Rifts has been one of the longest running single systems out there. The Palladium books in and of itself. There is so much content out there. What's what's your favorite book, and why would that oh, be? My my favorite Spirit West World World Books Spirit West. Oh yeah, because I. I am a huge fan of anthropology and human culture, and that really detailed a lot of things. Um, the pure ones, the I mean, and, and the different levels of technology um, acceptance among Native American re- cultures that was resurgent in North America, and and talking about a lot of the spirituality and a lot of the spirits, and, and it, it was just a... Tr- it was like a gaming National Geographic magazine <laughs> of just Spirit West. I absolutely love that. I mean, if you if you, if I picked up that book and threw it in the air, it would turn into sunshine as far as I'm concerned. I like it that much. <laughs> nice. SPF? Oh, man. Um, I don't have the encyclopedic memory of titles uh just because oh my god i deal with so many different books um uh so my answer is twofold they're secondarily but only by a little bit it is the the book within the series the coalition war um and the war against tolkien uh that 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 era that series that really delved into the cyber knights um i don't remember which book exactly that one is um, and the funny thing is, putting Kevin on the spot, I don't know if he if he had because if he's like me, he doesn't necessarily remember everything he wrote exactly where it is. But no, um, it's just oddly enough, it's the Cyber Knight source book in the Tolkien 
War series, the Coalition War series. Right, yeah. so it is its own standalone book. That's right. Okay, because yep. I couldn't remember if it was a standalone book or yep. not, or if it was in, within one of the other books. I apologize, but no, no, um, it, it, it fit within this. It fit within the uh, Coalition War series, but it is pretty much a standalone book within it. But there was just so much. Again, and that's personal bias. I love Cyber Knights, so for me, getting to to delve completely into it and then revisit that book when I was you know figuring out how to to represent Cyber Knights and Savage Riffs, that was just a joy for me. But um, you know, the, this might be considered the cheap and easy answer, but it's the absolute honest one. The absolute top favorite book for me will always be the very first ever Rifts book, and that is because the emotional moment I had picking that book up and looking at it and deciding I have to buy this. <laughs> or I think at, uh, I think at the time, no, no, it was at that point, yeah, I was, it was like, I have to buy this. Um, it was just the wonder, the, the excitement I had. The, this, that's, see, there's, there, was a, there was a key moment for me when I first picked up my, my you know, a box set of Dungeons and Dragons uh, as a child and opened it up and started reading through these rules and trying to go, oh my God, this is this is like nothing I have ever experienced before. And I kept seeking that emotional response throughout the, the rest of my life of, of, you know, that excitement, that sense of wonder, that sense of possibilities, that sense of something new to experience. And of course, by that point, you know, I had done, you know, it was over a decade in as a gamer. So there was very few times I'd gotten close to that. One of those times though, was opening up that gigantic book with that amazing art and just looking through that book and going, oh my God, what is holy, I have to have this. And that, that, that will, so for that reason of, I mean, you know, certainly the, the revised version, uh, you know, it, it was, it was an enhancement and, you know, great, you know, design decisions and all kinds of stuff in that. But that first book was a magical moment for me. So nothing can touch that. Awesome. Yeah, I, 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 as the guy who created all this stuff, um, I get asked that question all the time. <laughs> I bet. You, you know, my, my, my knee-jerk reaction, my, sort of my cop-out answer is, that's like asking a father who's his favorite child. <laughs> Which just is true. And, and for me, you know, what Sean just said about the excitement and, and the sense of wonder when he picked up the first Riffs book, um, from a design point of view, that's what I try to capture in every book we do. But much like Sean, the ultimate Rifts book for me is that very first Rifts RPG because it was something that had been percolating in my head for three and a half years. Um, it was my magnum opus. It, it was my, you know, epic, the culmination of you know, this massive, incredible, anything-goes-yet-plausible world. And the sense of excitement, you know, I, I don't know if people know how writers and designers feel when their their book come out. I, I always compared it to like giving birth. <laughs> it's, even though you wrote it, even though you, you know, art-directed it and maybe helped even lay it out, you know, every facet of this thing, when you're holding that book fresh off the printing press in your hands, mm -hmm. yeah, there's just this, that's my baby. <laughs> Hell yes. I, I will admit, I uh, recently, uh, I 
that was involved with one uh, RPG product, uh, Fate of Eos from Blue Devil Games. And when I got my copy and I pulled it out of the thing, I was like, holy crap, my name's on a book. <laughs> Congratulations and welcome to the Brotherhood. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. Let me be clear. Welcome to the fellowship. Sorry. <laughs> the fellowship. That's appropriate. Um, so uh, let's talk Savage Rifts a little bit. Um, so kind of like when SPF was on before, you know, it's 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 really... So, Kevin, it's one of those things from as a Rifts fan, you know, when you and I talked, I mean, over the years, I ended up drifting away from the Palladium system just because of time availability. I'm in the military, and I love the 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 detail that the Palladium book system gets to, but it, I just didn't have the time to play through that uh, as I got older. So when, how did that meeting go when SPF brought up the whole like, hey, so here's an idea. Could we cross rifts with Savage Worlds? How did that meeting go? Yeah, I said, who the hell are you, buddy? And get the <laughs> heck out of my face. Ah, okay, awesome. No. <laughs> Obviously not. <laughs> Um, well, well, as Sean had said, you know, we've known each other for for a long time, and at, at that point, I already known Sean for, gosh, probably 15 years, um, and I knew he had a tremendous amount of passion for both Rifts and Savage Worlds, um, and I respected his ability as a writer and game designer, and so when he came up to me about it, in fact, I, I, I suspect I surprised him, because, yeah, you know, yeah, you did. <laughs> 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 you could tell he had this whole big pitch and he was like halfway through his pitch and I'm like yeah it sounds great let's do it and he yeah. was like eh? yeah <laughs> that, that was a mouth that was a jaw dropping moment for me uh, nice I can, I can imagine that so and I guess going back to Cameron um, what did you think as a fan when you actually heard about Savage Rifts coming out uh, the first thing that crossed my mind is WTF. <laughs> and then I dug into it and just went, oh, this is fantastic. I mean, both systems are are absolutely fantastic for completely different reasons. Mm -hmm. And my entire thing is one's not better than the other. They're just different. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do do you like you know a pot roast or do you like a, a vegan a vegan casserole? I mean, it it depends on who you are. <laughs> this just cast a bigger net for the entire world, so more people can enjoy this. Yeah. And like like yourself, I when I was playing um, Palladium Rifts in like the nineties. And I didn't have a wife, and I didn't have kids, and I didn't have a house, and I didn't have uh, two full-time jobs in school and everything else. I had a lot of time to invest in that. And having kind of a slimline rule set enabled me to tell more stories. Nice. And, 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 and be more productive. Awesome. In, in regards to time management. 
Yeah, and it's one. Actually, it's funny because uh, the way I even got into it was, of course, my love for the military, fighter pilots, and was the actual Robotech role-playing game was one of the ones that kind of started getting me in this route. But one of the interesting things, like kind of like Cameron said, the Palladium system, Savage Worlds pretty stark in how they accomplish rules and how they run so for kevin you and spf what were some of the rules that the two of you kind of discussed the most as this process went down well to be completely fair kevin was very sean i trust you go go have fun with this um occasionally we would kind of kick back to him and, and ask him a couple of questions here and there but for the most part he was just thrilled to see what we were coming up with uh, and uh, because we, you know, just as you guys both explained, they are different systems. They are both used to tell uh, a story in a different way. So it was mostly about interpreting the essence and the the, the feeling of the yep. ideas in rifts, but re-expressing them in a different rule set. We're also revisiting a world that at this point had been in publication for the better part of two decades. So it was a chance to also bring some new thinking, and that was that was some initial conversations. I said, "Hey, Kevin, we want to we want to maybe do some different things here, and 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 maybe do something different with the juicer, and do something different with the crazy." And uh, again, Kevin was like, "Let's see it. This sounds exciting." And then when I told him what we were doing, he's like, "Holy crap! I love that. If uh, <laughs> if you don't mind, I'm going to pull that back over when we start doing new stuff with rifts." And I was like, "Hell to the yes!" So uh, it was an incredibly gratifying uh, collaborative process where Kevin was mostly just excited to see somebody else play in the sandbox with his toys. Yeah, that that's what, what people... So this kind of gets back to my philosophy about role-playing, which is everyone has their own personal likes and dislikes, their, their own personal taste. Not everyone's going to want to play and use the same rules even if they love a particular setting. So I am, for example, never upset when I hear someone going, oh my god, I love your your, your, your setting, whether it's Rifts or Heroes Unlimited or whatever. But I prefer the rules of fill in the blank. It does not offend me whatsoever because everyone has the personal taste. That's why you can have all these different game systems and they all have big followings because they all appeal to certain different things that some of us like, some of us prefer something else. And when Sean came to me, like I said earlier, I knew here was a guy who truly loved riffs. It wasn't just lip service. I knew he knew riffs, I knew he loved riffs. I knew he was going to try to bring riffs to life in the Savage World game system. And likewise, I sat back and said, I don't expect this to be, you know, the Rift's rules. It, it's not for the Palladium game system. It, this is a completely different game system. So sure, you're going to have to adapt things. Uh, I ran into the same thing when um, Nokia had adapted Rift's for the N-Gage, which was a, a, a looking just great game. Um, they put tons of time and money in there. When they brought me in, they, they were scared of what I was going to say because they were changing the look of things quite a bit, as video game companies do. And um, they were taking things and they were writing their own story. But again, it was this, this beautiful partnership with someone I could trust, someone who I knew loved the property, 
uh, and, and we're going to keep the, the integrity. So it didn't bother me that some of the designs were different as long as you looked at it and said, yeah, that's a Glitter Boy, that's a Juicer, that's a Techno Wizard. Um, and I was excited by what they were doing. I was excited by seeing their vision of my work. It, it's awesome when you see creative people running with something you created and taking it in new directions um, and making it available to a whole new group of people. It, it's super exciting. So uh, that's what happened. And yeah, I, I kind of kept my nose out of things when I had questions I, I, I asked. And when I loved something, I asked if I could steal it. <laughs> nice. Like, like yeah, and last call burnout. And, you know, it's, yeah. That's I, the thing I, I got to say. That's the thing that, that I've gotten like the most compliments on, quite frankly, is people look at that. I mean, they, they like a lot of the stuff, but the juicer thing, just bringing the juicers more to life on that. And credit where it's due, John Wick, uh, which a lot of you guys know, does his own thing, did 7C and all that. He was a part of some of those conversations and design ideas, too. So shout out to John for helping us helping us nail that idea down uh, with, a, with a good mechanic for it. But the point being, uh, it, it, it was so much fun to, to, to revisit this. What's been an interesting result is, you know, we never did, we, we were never thinking in terms of, we're going to steal Palladium fans over to, to a new way of play. Uh, this was mostly, hey, Savage Worlds fans, a lot of you probably have never played anything like this before. You know, this was a really amazing game that you may or may not have played back when you were younger, or you're, you are younger and you weren't around when it came out. Here's, here's re-exposure to this. What has been surprising to me is how many people who were neither Savage Rifts, or I'm sorry, neither Savage Worlds fans, nor had played Palladium, suddenly were going, oh, this looks exciting. So not only did we bring Rifts to a large audience within the Savage Worlds community, we brought some new people to the table completely with this project, and that has been the most gratifying for me. That's awesome. Pretty, that's pretty awesome. As a complete segue, two things. First, Kevin, I I can't. I don't want to say I would kill, but I would. I don't know what I would do to find a copy of Promise for Power on the Android. I my wife would probably divorce me because my nose would be stuck playing that game consistently. <laughs> uh, but second, um, funny you're talking about John Wick. I actually. Ran, he was at PAX Unplugged last year, and I was staying in the same hotel he was, and I stopped him in the hallway and said, thank you, thank you, thank you for the juicer mechanics from uh, Savage Rifts, and it kind of just caught him completely off guard. What did he say? He was like, oh yeah, he was like, that was a really fun weekend, and kind of talked about it a little bit, and he was like, yeah, come by our booth if you want to chat some more about it, So, but it was very busy. he was busy, so I didn't want to take up any more of his time. Yeah, that was a hell of a weekend. That was John Wick, me, Ross Watson, Shane Hensley, um, uh, Mike. Oh, God, I'm drawing a blank now. A couple of the guys, uh, and, and we just were playing through in the garage, and then sometimes we're, like, shouting and throwing pencils at each other. Sometimes we're taking a break to go outside and breathe and have a beer. I mean, it was just... <laughs> It was a it was it was an intense weekend, but it was a good one. It got a lot of really good stuff done that weekend. That was a that was a jam session like no other. Nice. And it, it's an epic mechanic for for people who may not be familiar with it. Um, you know the juicer. They're basically burning themselves out, taking these drugs all the time to be superhuman. And so we have something in in, in the Palladium game that. <coughs> last call. So at some point, if you don't detox well before last call hits, you, you start to fall apart and degrade very quickly and you die. 
Um, hence, sort of the tragic hero and drugs are bad for you message. And what Sean did, and, and I loved, because for me it's always about surprising people, the wow factor, character and story, and, and, and the blaze of glory rule is just so damn good because what it is is, okay, if you're juicer, if you want, if you're like in this life and death situation or, or some heroic situation and you want to rescue the innocent people or your fellow teammates or whatever to ca- or just die in a kick-ass way you, you tell your GM I want to go in, out in a blaze of glory and your temporarily juiced up supercharged juicer can kick ass and then kills over it's yep. fantastic <laughs> oh yeah. yeah so Cameron uh do you have any questions kind of along these lines for the uh, dealing with like Savage Rifts and Palladium crossover or any of that kind of stuff? Oh no, you're, you're very, very thorough. And, <laughs> and also the answers are very, very thorough. I am just like a kid in a candy store listening to this. Nice. I'm getting an edu- I am getting an education. And so, uh, so what, for the games that you run, do you find, do you find more people are Savage Worlds folks playing Rifts, former Rifts players playing Savage Worlds, you're running, uh, so what, what does that demographic look like for you? Oh, I, I run into everything. So, like, as Sean said, people that had, have no experience with Savage Worlds or Rifts at all have come in and went, what's this? I'm glad you asked. Come on over here. <laughs> I have a stack of pre-generated characters. What's a mind melter? Well, it's kind of like a Jedi that has no code. It has all the abilities of, of force push and and mind Jedi mind tricks and and they can summon their own lightsabers. Well, that's kind of cool. So I can be a Sith or 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 whatever I want. Yes, it's completely up to however you want to play it. Well, give me one of those. Okay, you know, you know. Uh, Mind mental, mind uh, mind melter, table three, please. You know, just boom. Th- there you go. Um, and I and I'm glad you guys brought up juicers because people that play juicers like Blaze of Glory. Oh yeah. They they want to throw their characters <laughs> down the jaws of evil and death just to have their corpse choke it out and beat it I have <laughs> so many psycho I'm going to win and everyone's going to love me and every time that happens I have a room of 8 to 16 people that are spectating this going I wouldn't do that with my character <laughs> and then when they do it I've seen literally everyone in the room throw up their hands and just yeah and, and they're give, giving the guy high fives and pats on the back and that was awesome and he's like yeah this is the first time I've ever played this this is great okay <laughs> so that, that, that's my perspective and in, in, in experience on that thank you you're no, very that, welcome that's awesome actually I, in uh, the Savage Rifts games I'm playing I'm playing a Cyber Knight and I'm, I'm constantly looking for so is now the time for Blaze of Glory at what point am I going to heroically sacrifice myself <laughs> Um, so, uh, talking a little bit more uh, kind of savage riffs. So, like Castle Refuge. Like for me, I thought Castle Refuge was one of those amazing ideas. The Castle Refuge and the Tomorrow Legion, and thus kind of the why you know the 
background for my podcast. But, you know, it's like on some of the Palladium boards and stuff like that, there's a lot of folks are that the idea of Castle Refuge is a little bit controversial. So um, any insights, t- discussion between you and S- SPF about the idea behind Castle Refuge and the Tomorrow Legion, then is there maybe, is there is that maybe something that's going to be incorporated into Palladium Rifts products in the future? Well, I, I need to be brought up to speed on what do they find controversial about it. Um, from what I've seen, uh, some of it is, oh, why do we need this, this, you know, it's kind of the gruff jerk response. Why do I need this cuddly, you know, organization to, you know, center my game around, you know, hey, somebody's, you know, but really it's kind of a lot of the arguments is, well, right where it's at is it's going to get crunched. So why should we even put it here? Because it's going to get crushed by the coalition um, is one of the big things. But it just kind of seems like um, generally it seems like a lot of the player base focus is kind of on the mercenary kind of character type. So bringing in something like Tomorrow Legion seems to be at odds with some of the way people view the world. That's yeah, my- that's all. It's just personal opinion, and uh, you know, my 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 thought to the people who say, "Ah, it's just going to get crushed by the coalition," is, well, stay tuned and see what happens. <laughs> so, so some in- so some insight from this direction. First off, anything that we created uh, for the Rifts world, uh, you know, automatically it's it's Rifts IP. So Kevin is absolutely going to you know it, it's his. So it's it's his to do stuff, and you know. When he and I've gotten together, uh, if you if you aren't imagining some conversations over over drinks and burgers about you know the future and what can be done with all these cool stuff that we've come up with, then then you're you're not paying attention. But the <laughs> thing is, uh, Shane Hensley gets some credit because he did encourage us from the beginning. He says, "Hey, since you know uh, we don't we don't want to step on." Uh, or be changing anything uh, dramatically in terms of like established locations or established groups within the rifts of continuity. So maybe you know you should come up with something new, as, you know, make it fit within the world. But it will be the Savage Rifts focus. It'll be uh, the the place where the you know we, we we focus the Savage Rifts adventures and stuff like that. So it's it's new but integrated without like well we went in and changed Laszlo or we went in and changed some other place that people know about. So it seemed just easier to create uh, a new idea and because Rift or because Savage Worlds products do tend to have a an organization or a reason for a built-in you know heroic paradigm kind of thing. Uh, a reason for p- characters to get together. I mean, you've got it all going all the way back to to Deadlands. You know, the the Twilight Legion uh, and stuff like that. So the the Legion idea—that's where actually the word Legion came from—is to kind of create that sort of, you know, uh, unconscious connection between that and the other other Rift settings, or I'm sorry, other Savage World settings. I'm sorry. I'm the fact of it is a lot of people have indicated <laughs> that you could totally take all the Savage World settings and use Rifts to connect them, and you know, you know we might have actually done that here and there uh, unofficially. But anyway. The point being that it was Shane's idea that we come up with something. Then I, I developed the the Tomorrow Legion for that. Now you know people's argument about well the coalition will just crush them. They're not. They're they're looking too much at the surface level. They obviously haven't done the reading. If you look at where it really is, I mean that's that's the heart of the agricultural area. And quite frankly, we've already depicted that a lot of the coalition troops and officers down there in that part of the world. 
uh, from the of North America, they're much more interested in just kind of keeping it, you know, keeping it easy with everybody around them. They're just trying to protect the agricultural breadbasket of the coalition empire. So they're not really interested in all-out warfare with non-antagonistic entities. So we've very, I believe, we've believably depicted the possibility for Tomorrow Legion patrols and coalition patrols that are part of that that area can interact with each other without necessarily just drawing down because as long as the Tomorrow Legion is also trying to keep monsters from killing the farmers, those coalition officers, that that actually fulfills their purpose. So that allows for the complexity of interactions that that Kevin built into the setting for crying out loud. And in North, Northern Arkansas, you've got uh, a brand new coalition force that you know that uh, within the era that we set this in, uh, the the Arkansas people are still just getting their feet under them. So they don't have a lot of of forces to send all the way to the north. So it's actually a very interesting place. And we put it there so that the Tomorrow Legion with all of its assets and resources had threat. I mean, the whole thing we role-played at the beginning of this podcast was about the fact that the Tomorrow Legion does have assets and resources, but they have to husband them because there are threats to the west, to the east, to the north, and the south. They're in a position that they can defend themselves, but they have to be careful about how they do it. So again, these guys are like, well, that's just stupid. It doesn't make any sense. No, it makes perfect sense if you really look at the depth of what Kevin wrote in the beginning. Awesome. Well, and it creates a nice dynamic tension because what happens when Castle Refuge or the Tomorrow Legion do something that catches the Coalition's attention now and they say, well, we can no longer tolerate them or what the hell's going on. Yep. And uh, it, it's great. <laughs> I like it a lot. Yeah. So there you go. Awesome. And so, uh, Cameron, uh, for for the stuff you do, of course, wh- when is uh, your game set that gets, that you guys do out in California? Like in what? Where in the timeline? In the timeline? Oh, well, it's 100 PA. So all the way back at the beginning. I started at the very very beginning because like having that 10 15 year break from from riffs, running it and playing it, and coming back and finding. Oh, okay. We're 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 on World Book 132. What? <laughs> <laughs> Holy smoke! This is a lot of information. And if yeah. I start at the very end, it would. I was like, well, I can't go through this world event. I can't go through this world event. It's already happened and it's done. How are we? I'm going to go start from the very beginning, and and just play through the entire timeline. Like right now, we're about to go into 101 PA, and the mechanoid invasion is just, is about to happen. Yeah, you have it. The, the, the Tomorrow Legion doesn't even exist at that point. No, it's a, it's a sparkle in Lord, Lord Coke's uh, eyes right now as, as a creation. <laughs> so, so Cameron, um, you you've said we. So who do you mean by we? We the 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 club. I mean, I, I'm working with a, a number of GMs, and we're trying to create. A, it's a living campaign, where each each of the GMs has a campaign, and it's run in the same timeline, and it's part of the same collective world. Kind of kind of like if you like everyone logs in the world of Warcraft. There's a shared world that they're all in, like participating in, and it's and it's a creative endeavor. Oh, that's cool. So yeah, we're we're at hundred PA, and there's lots of things coming. 
<laughs> Mechanoid Invasion, uh, T- Tolkien War, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse in Africa, uh, uh, Juicer Uprising, Minion War. I mean, d- everything is coming, and it's going to be absolutely horrible and glorious. Huh. Yeah, the the actual uh, online game I'm playing through is part of the uh, the Rifts Living campaign, and we are actually doing the Mechanoid Invasion. So uh, that's yeah, that's pretty fun. Club, uh, yep. that's Andy's game, right? Yeah, Andy Parker is running it. So yeah, he's a good guy. Cool. Well. Um, so for the most part, uh, of course, um, you know, of course we're getting pretty close to, to time. So I'll, I'll yeah. kind of look at a couple other things here. Um, so, uh, Kevin, so this, a little bit of a, a conversation with, with us, but feel free for you other guys to jump in. Um, so upcoming on so like what rifts products can we expect from palladium in the near future that you can talk about well the things that we are um putting all of our attention on right now is the rifts bestiary volume one and volume two Mm -hmm. um for uh chaos earth we want to get out psychic scream and first responders and then for rifts we want uh in addition to the bestiary books, which which may turn into three and, and or more, uh, especially as we expand into like demons and supernatural creatures and stuff, um, we uh, are, are looking to get out uh, the disavowed and uh, the coalition arsenal and move that storyline, the the minion war storyline, uh, forward a bit. Um, we we also have a couple other things lined up. Uh, in fact, I'll mention right now that something I have not announced because I, I I've barely glanced at the manuscript, but it's written by one of my ace writers, uh, Matthew Clements. Is uh, Titan Robotics? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh boy! Oh and, boy! And, I have a hot nickel burning in my pocket for that. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. <laughs> yeah, um, he was hot on it, and I said go. Um, and we also want to do, uh, except that it's it's more complex. So uh, and probably a, a couple of books, which is uh, Laszlo. Uh, okay, take my money now. <laughs> People have wanted that for a long, long time, and we've actually uh, quietly. It's been one of the projects we've worked on sporadically. Uh, over the last few years, um, yeah, there was a, there was a point where I was saying, so we'd like to actually go in and play with Laszlo if you're if you're open to that. And he said, you know what? Sorry, but uh, you can talk about what's already been published. But we've got some stuff in the works. And I was like, oh, okay, and then zip my mouth up. So, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice. Um, I'm sure I'm missing stuff. I mean, we want to get the uh, Living Nowhere source book out as well. And, uh, you know, you would think I would have a list handy where I could just look at um, or it'd be at the tip of my my thoughts. But uh, we have a number of riffs things we want to do, uh, as well as a lot of other stuff. We want to, uh, our, our big focus that we want to do is uh, focus on the games that we feel are our core games. And that includes riffs slash uh, Chaos Earth. Heroes Unlimited, 
Palladium Fantasy and Beyond the Supernatural. So people have been waiting forever for Beyond the Supernatural source books, and uh, I'm going to get them out in the next 18 months. So awesome. Uh, the other thing I'm I'm definitely patiently waiting for is uh, to see if the Rifts board game uh, comes back in light. But those miniatures were amazing. Oh, those miniatures are amazing. Carmen hired a couple of really great, outstanding um, sculptors from the UK, and then he uh, like loves riffs and those riffs as good as anyone in this conversation and just was on top of everything art directing and he did just a fabulous job uh it was unfortunate um that that didn't pan out but uh i'm sure it'll be back <laughs> i i hope so cool on a so on another note spf what do you uh what do you got coming up here shortly well, um, you've you've had, uh, as I recall, the the current people who are in charge of the Savage Rest pro- you know line now, the the Birchers and Sean Robertson. So, yep. Um, and I know they they talked about what's going on. I, I set the stage for it, but they they've they've taken that ball and run with it. So, the the people who listen to you already know that there's uh, you know the, the the book that's dealing with the the major organizations for mankind in North America. Basically, the books that are supposed to wrap up the Savage Rifts part of North America uh, are, are in the in the can and you know I wrote a bunch of stuff and some of those and I oversaw that and and then uh, you know I had to get back on top of things going on with the Evil Beagle games and some other projects so I found the the right people and they're very excited they're very enthusiastic and incredibly talented so I know that uh, that stuff is in good hands and I'm excited to see what they're they're doing with it yeah so but- actually I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say actually the uh, like the the stuff I made in the PowerPoint for you guys, uh, Sean Bircher and Roberson actually kind of worked with me to translate a lot of that stuff into PNO. So yeah, that was the other thing that I was really, really excited about is Bircher himself has been very actively integrating Freedom Squadron with Savage Rifts, which is a it's an absolutely exciting, if somewhat terrifying thing to look at. Um, and I'm just, I'm really kind of intrigued. He's been, you know, through his own wines and Sat wine and savages, uh, 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 product, uh, well, you know, imprint. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh, he's he's put out a couple of one sheet, two sheet things that uh, are related to that. And I just, I'm like, dude, that's just so exciting because there's a whole bunch of people already talking to me about what happens when Freedom Squadron finds a rift, goes through it, and ends up in battle with the Coalition, or even worse. And I'm like, that's. That is interesting. That that's a, that's a fascinating idea, and that's one of the beauties of the of both the rule set and the and the settings, is that they just open themselves up to that. So, there's you know, so so I suppose it's it's easy enough to segue into the fact that there's a lot more uh, stuff coming out for Freedom Squadron later in the year and into next year. Uh, with uh, we've got the Friends Foes Manual, we've got the Ar- Arcane Operation or Cult Operations Manual, the Advanced Tech Manual, all of which is stuff that Savage Rifts fans are going to love because it's additional gear, equipment, and ideas that they could easily transport into their their Savage Rifts games. Are you going to so do? S- sorry, SPF. Are you going to do straight to purchase on those, or are you going to kickstart those? Uh, we're. That's I, I don't know for certain. Um, mini kicks, you know, smaller kickstarters still tend to be the best way to get product to uh, the fan base and out into the into the world, especially when you're operating at the level that Evil Beagle Games is. 
Um, you know, we don't quite have the the, the level of publishing uh, resources that Palladium does. God, I really respect how they do things, but you know, I'm just I'm just not there yet. And so Kickstarter does tend to be a really great way for us to get product out, and also to get fans excited about the product. It's a great marketing tool as well as production tool. So most likely. We will we will have smaller, very focused Kickstarters, or like what we like to call mini kicks, to get those books done. You know, so that's and we have some other Savage World stuff that we're working on as well. Um, but at the same time, obviously, you know, we mentioned the, the Prowls and Paragons thing. That's the next most immediate thing going on, is uh, is is the superhero kind of stuff. What I found interesting, and I'm, this is just this is just an off the top of my head uh, Elon Musk style rant. You know throw something out there that's not real, it's not official, but, you know, just fun thing to say is that a lot of people have looked at me and said, so, when are you going to start taking some of the stuff that you've done and create a Prowls and Paragons version of it? <laughs> and, I've, and I've looked at that and gone, hmm. hmm. And that's that's it, that's all I got. That's all I got. I just, there's a, things that make you go, hmm, and I'm just going to leave it at that. So. Nice. So Cameron, what do you got coming up for the uh, the Living Rifts campaign club? Oh, um, the fifteenth of February is going to be the next convention, and another episode of the Mexican Cargo Run campaign will come out. Expeditious Exodus. You will have the convoy leaving Tampico, Mexico, and they will be fighting for their lives to leave the Vampire Kingdoms to go back to Kingsdale, and there will be another episode of El Dorado Broadcast Radio with Dwayne for that. Yes, there will. Those, those guys oh. need to swing by and pick up the, the Ironheart Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> they need a shifter for that to fast forward nine years and then extract them back to 100 oh, Timeline issues, timeline issues. Hey, what in you, Rifts, you can do that. You what do you need know? a good enough shifter. What do you think? This is Star Trek? <laughs> A rift will open, and a big crook will come out and snatch them away, like a Warner Brothers cartoon. Cool. It's something I, I should have mentioned, and I, I don't know how I forgot about, is uh, this week, I think, we're going to be launching our, our new website, which will be much more compatible for uh, smartphones and tablets and other mobile devices. And then we will soon, and I'm not sure how soon, um, one of my long artist Apollo Okamura um, has licensed for me the rights to produce um, ISO stickers for Apple and uh, th those are kind of neat I mean they're, they're his sort of you know cutesy Japanese animation kind of anime style stuff but they're, they're 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 pretty neat the first 10 stickers are uh, already approved and look great uh, a couple of them are, are animated and uh, I am working on a uh, license with a writer to do lit RPG novels for riffs. Oh wow! Oh, nice. So uh, that that's that's probably more like four or six months away. But uh, we're nailing down the contract right now. In fact, the hold up is my agent wants to look at the contract before we we submit it to the writer. And uh, my agent moves slowly. Nice. But, yeah, and we got a bunch of other stuff kind of kind of hanging out there, so we'll see what happens. Awesome. Well, gentlemen, Kevin, SPF, Cameron, I really appreciate you guys taking this chunk out of the middle of your day. Um, 
Uh, it's getting here towards the end, and we're probably going to have to call it quits, but this has been amazing, and I really appreciate everybody's participation. Uh, you guys got anything else before we leave? Cameron? Nope. This is a good wrap-up. Cool. SPF? Good. It's been an honor and a pleasure, Kevin. I just appreciate you so much. Thank you for uh, for this fun time. Oh, the feeling's mutual, man. Um, you know, keep uh, keep on keeping on. You know, in a, well, go ahead. Say, you know, in a lot of ways, thanks to you, I am, and you know what I'm talking about. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's all you can do, man. Is uh, you know, press forward and keep that imagination burning. The only other thing I'd like to add is, uh, especially after uh, Cameron made that wonderful uh, spirited review of uh, Spirit West, I want to mention that. Uh, 90% of that book was uh, that work of uh, Wayne Bro Jr. Uh, I just want to give him credit where credit's due. He really did a great job on that book. Bravo. Awesome. All right, guys. A- absolutely. Lots of fun. Awesome. Well, thank, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you all for this experience. If you have any refugee questions, wish to leave a mission report, or submit a Legionnaire for Legionnaire's Last Call, please email me at voiceofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Also, Gary and Victor just released episode 22, To Suede or Not to Suede. Check them out. And finally, if you're in the Washington, D.C. area and interested in Savage Rifts or Savage Worlds, please look up the Facebook group, The Capital Savages. The Voice of Hope is a Savage Rifts fan podcast. The music in the intro and prologue are Killers and Rhinos theme by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution License 3.0. Voice alteration is accomplished by VoiceMod Pro, and audio noises are from Sirenscape. The websites for both products are in the show notes. Savage Worlds and Deadlands are copyrighted 2016 and trademarked to Pinnacle Entertainment Group, all rights reserved. Rifts and the Megaverse are a registered trademark of Palladium Books.